Welcome back to another edition of Lunch with Spencer and Jeff. I'm your host, Spencer Turkin, alongside my partner, Jeff Mills. Hello, everybody. And today we are at the Smith Street Diner in Greensboro, joined by Congressman Mark Walker. We appreciate you uh, joining us here for lunch. Thank you, Spencer. Jeff, good to be here. Well, Congressman, big piece of legislation that has gained some momentum in the last two weeks after California passes a bill. The Student-Athlete Equity Act, which you actually introduced in March, has now become national news, and you're right here in the backyard, so we figured, well, why not talk to you about this bill? Yeah, and have some good food at Smith Street at the same time. No I question. A good combination, yeah. Uh, so th- this bill, I guess, where did it come from? What made you decide to try and push likeness revenue uh, and make it legal across the United States for college athletes. Sure. Let, let me deal with the first part of it, which is the misnomer, mm-hmm. and sometimes even propagated by the NCAA. In fact, uh, just last week, uh, their response to the NCAA, uh, the California legislature passing their Fair Play Act, uh, 7-2-0, I might add, right. uh, was the fact that they pushed back in the context that they didn't believe that these students should be employees of the university. See, once again, nobody's asking for that. And, right. and, and so but we're not asking for the university or the NCAA to pay a single penny to any student, male or female, whatever sport it might be. So let's clear the deck for that because some of the pushback uh, and really where it changes the, the dynamic as far as people supporting it or not supporting it is would the university or the NCAA be required to pay a dollar? No. The crux of this is basically allowing uh, these young adults, 18 to 22, in men and women's sports to have the same rights as every other American have. In fact, have the same rights as every other scholarship student has, whether it's education, whether it's business, whether it's music. If you're on a music scholarship, you can go out and use your likeness to get a gig, play in an orchestra, bring in some part-time money. It's only the student athlete that has to sign over a complete moratorium with no access to their image or likeness. Uh, Now, you played college sports. Uh, so, now, this was a while back. It was not at the Division One level, but you did play college sports, so you know what kind of time commitment these student-athletes are giving to their schools. Well, yeah, there are some high school teams that were better than the college teams that I played on, so let's, <laughs> let's qualify that. So, uh, but, but, but I've always loved the sport. Uh, played a year of basketball and baseball in college at Trinity College there in Jacksonville, Florida. But really what moved me on this is when I moved to North Carolina, I arrived here in a Dodge Shadow in 1991 with $600 in my pocket. And I really didn't know about this Duke-UNC basketball history. I was more of a deep South SEC football guy. But I started to follow along. That was back during the days of Bobby Hurley, Christian, later Grant Hill, and all those guys. The Fab Five were coming on the scene as well, if you remember that yeah, Michigan's oh yeah. team. Well, if you go back and look at their story uh, of those five, three on went on to make millions of dollars, but the two guys, Ray Jackson and Jimmy King, who never made really much on their basketball careers, even though they literally changed the face of of college basketball. Right down to the shorts the kids wore. Black socks. Exactly right. So all this marketing, people were making millions of dollars, but Ray Jackson and Jimmy King had no access. So as a pastor, years later, working in some of the inner cities, and then arriving in Congress four and a half years ago, I began to think about this. And the more I looked at this, the more I was blown away. Because 45% of these student athletes in these larger sports come from underprivileged communities, impoverished communities, many of them who can't even take their families out for dinner 
yet their face is on the front page of the program at the University of Alabama or Duke or wherever it might be. And I'm just thinking this is an injustice. Now, this piece of legislation, uh, I believe it's been characterized as nonpartisan. So there's two Democrats and two Republicans that uh, are all working together on this as of now. And I'm assuming that some more are probably going to be trying to get on this bill uh, because of what's going on. We had several conversations just last week, people coming up to me on the House floor. The first thing I did, I went to my friend Cedric Richmond. Mm -hmm. Cedric Richmond is, I mean, he's a real athlete. I mean, even to this day, uh, first four years, he was the pitcher for the Democrats. I was the pitcher for the Republicans at the Congressional Baseball game, Uh, played at Morehouse. Uh, But he was the former chairman of the Congressional Black Caucus. I'm the former chair of the largest caucus on the Republican side, so I figured if the two of us came together, people would realize, listen, this is not about being partisan. This is about making sure that people's civil rights aren't violated. Uh, How important is it for you and how refreshing is it for you that that a piece of sports legislation can kind of bring everybody together across the aisles, considering the the climate in in today's politics? Well, we we hope that it will, but remember this. uh, There are people that I've talked to privately. The NCAA has a very strong influence in Washington, Uh, D.C. You've heard the term lobbyists and special interests and different things like that. And there's some good things, uh, certainly, that their NCAA group. I met with four of their top legal brass about four months ago, and they weren't happy with this. Uh, And they have some connections and relationships that I'm sure not everybody is going to jump onto the piece of legislation. Uh, But for the first time, I feel like that we are gaining momentum. If you look at the Olympic model, there's some similarities here because, remember, years ago, Olympics, uh, Olympians. Strictly amateurs. Exactly. Strictly amateurs. So this is a four-page bill, not some 2000 Washington speak, four-page bill that basically changes the tax code status of an amateur athlete in college. Uh, Now, I I pulled up the bill. I did read it. And so I was actually able to read it and understand it, which means you're right. There's not a whole bunch of D.C. gibberish in there. This is a, a plain old tax code amendment. And the part that I found interesting, though, that I had some questions on was tax implications. Let's say a parent claims a student athlete is a dependent, which they can. It's their child. Is there a certain amount of money then that if the student athlete is making money off of their likeness that they can't claim them as a dependent? And uh, certain things like that, how how will those be monitored and governed? It's a great question. Some of those laws are already in place. If you have an adult child making a certain amount of money, there are some capacities or some limitations as far as what you're able to do and claim. But the point of this piece of legislation is to remember this. 99% of these student athletes never receive a professional sports contract. Right. So this is, you know, people say, well, what about Zion Williamson? Listen, Nike and those guys, they're going to, I mean, they've got all the, but what about the backup quarterback at Elon University or the volleyball player A&T? These young men and young women who frankly do not have the opportunity to be able to use their likeness or image in any capacity during a prime earning opportunity. This isn't just about the four or five young men or women that are going on to make millions in pro sports. You're talking about here the majority, the water polo player at a certain school or the the fencer or even some of these non-revenue Olympic sports that you're hoping that they'll be able to make a little bit of extra money off of this. If I'm the backup quarterback at North Carolina A&T, okay, and I come from maybe some small town, pick one in North Carolina, maybe Dunn, maybe up in the mountains or wherever I'm coming from. If I want to go back home and there's a restaurant like Smith Street Diner that wants to come out and pay me a couple hundred dollars to come sign autographs or appearance fee, it's no business of the NCAA. 
I, I own my name and likeness. And for me to have to sign that away, now listen, as a nonprofit, we're not trying to tell the NCAA how to do it. What we are trying to do is pass legislations that allows the student athlete to have their own image and access to their own likeness. By doing so, it would it would provide opportunities. I think it even removes the middleman. The NCAA has been concerned about this guy, the middleman. Yeah. Because if you're able to handle your own, I think there's a, there's a way to be able to do that as well. I think that was my next question. Is I know the NCAA suggestion is going to be people from the outside having influence over these kids, and you know. Um, the specter of gambling and stuff like that always comes to, always comes to stuff like this. But still, your bill is more about the athlete being able to control his, own, his or her own stuff the same as the history student down the hall, right? Yeah, there's no question about that. And I think that's why I want to make sure this is the distinction, that this is, this is basically a free market principle, mm -hmm. is that I have a certain name and likeness just like anybody else. Uh, can go down the street and use that to be able to create my own revenue. Uh, and listen, the NCAA, I would get it if they want to come back and say, well, okay, we're okay with this, but he can't use university apparel logo that belongs to university. I frankly agree with that. Okay. But, but just don't go as far to say, no, you can't go do anything on your own image or likeness. That should always belong to you. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly there are certain lines, it, 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 like, like I talked about, that I would respect, and I think everybody would respect. But my legislation doesn't deal with that. It just removes the moratorium from preventing the, or, or, that keeps preventing these kids from being able to oper have that opportunity. Does the California bill help you or hurt you? I think it helps me. Okay. In, in a sense that, first of all, federal legislation would override the state right. legislation. But not only that, is it is bringing attention and kind of helping me push this through the ways and means. The, uh, not to get too much in the weeds, but this bill, what happens, it, it needs to go through the Committee of Jurisdiction, which is the ways and means that oversees the tax code. Right. Once it does that, it goes to rules, goes to the House floor for a vote. If it passes, it goes to the Senate and then to the president's desk to be signed into law. That, that sounds like a lot that has to still happen. How long could something like that take? Uh, well, goodness gracious, most bills <laughs> that get introduced never see the floor for a vote. Right. Uh, my, my hope would be that by the spring of next year okay. is that this has reached the president's desk and we've signed the law. I, I think about this in the context of some of these students that would uh, allow their, it would help maybe their parents travel to see them at their away game that they, uh, that they couldn't afford to do uh, or maybe take them out to dinner. I, I, I've talked with enough coaches to realize the situation that's tough there. So that those are the kinds of things that I believe uh, that would benefit these young adults, 18 to 22, that are old enough to go serve their country in, in, in a military arena but, but are restricted at the same time from their own likeness. I think it's time for it to stop. You mentioned uh, that you talked to some people. What kind of research went into to this bill? How, how long was this in the process? We have been really we have been studying this for a year and a half. Okay. Uh, really, all different angles because we wanted to be prepared for any kind of pushback the NCAA. When we first started meeting them, they said, "Hey, back off here. We get we're going to fix this internally." So I went down, met with Jay Billis uh, in Charlotte about a year and a half ago, and he says he frankly told me, he said, "Mark." don't believe that because that's they always promise that and I'm not trying to be too disparaging of the NCAA uh, even though they may be well-intentioned it seemed they never can get this part of it resolved so frankly I, I called Jay two days ago uh, he's gonna come to Washington with me we're actually working on a date this very day 
for him to come out. We're going to have a huge blow-it-out press conference and try to bring some attention to this that can really get this thing off the ground, build some momentum. And Jay Billis, for the record, has, has beat the drum for this for a long, long time. He has. He deserves some props on it. Yeah. Uh, Jay David Hill, I think, is another guy, sports writer for ESPN or somebody. He's been out there. There's been a few guys in the front lines that have said, wait a second, there's something wrong with this. Uh, who are some of the other people that you've consulted with on this piece of legislation? Have you spoken to athletic directors and university presidents to try and get a yes. feel for them of, of schools of all sizes? We have. We have talked to several athletic directors. I hesitate to give you the specific name just because of the process. I was even having a phone conversation today with Condoleezza Rice, who has been on the NCAA board of, yes. Who, who, gave, who has the commission that actually suggested that likeness right. should be allowed to be profitable. I think there might have been some restrictions, but she did, for the most part, believe that, that this should go through. We have run the full gamut of making sure we covered all the bases because people would say, well, what's a former small-town, small college athlete, former pastor, what in the world are you – but the more I looked into this, the more I wanted to make sure that we had the bases covered from Jay Billis to Condoleezza Rice's to coach, uh, athletic directors, you name it, to see exactly where the pinpoint of what we felt like the injustice was located. Uh, what are some of the restrictions that you feel like, uh, in addition to use of the university logo name, that should be put in place? I know some people are worried about potential booster tampering. So let's say a booster owns yeah. a business yeah. and they can – guarantee to someone oh we'll, we'll buy all your jerseys or we'll do you know we'll pay you x amount guaranteed to do this oh you're someone offered you that we'll do this how, how do you prevent something like that from yeah, happening like, like that's never happened before right, right? No. <laughs> the, the, uh, the, the 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 point is this is obviously the ncaa there should be some parameters and guidelines with anything and i don't have a problem with some of the regulations or, or putting in a regulatory process but it but it was funny i i was meeting with four top brass of the NCAA about four months ago now, maybe five months ago in my office, uh, and they were saying, oh, this is going to allow for corruption. Well, the very next day is when those recordings were released with the head basketball coach at LSU talking to the middleman, and I'm, yeah. and I'm thinking, oh, how ironic is this? Uh, and I, I, is, there, is there a foolproof way to say it's going to remove all corruption? I don't think there's any model that does that, but what it does, it allows that student athlete to control their own destiny. And it removes somebody from trying to work or game the system because they now have access to be able to be their own entrepreneur and market themselves from whatever they want to do to get created, to create their own website. And especially if you keep the school apparel or the logos outside of it, uh, I think that's a huge step as far as having access to their own jerseys and all that kind of stuff to be able to go. That's, that belongs to the university. I get that. But going out and signing autographs or showing for an appearance fee or showing those things, they should have access to that. So it sounds like uh, a potential return of the college football and college basketball video game might be off the table. <laughs> I know that there might be some people who are upset about that, but it does appear like that might be off the table for now. We'll see. We'll see. I, I, I Can you get, make an exception for that? or get asked more about that than any other part of this thing. It's amazing in our culture. Congressman, we're sitting here talking about this bill and likeness and – has it amazed you at how much of a business college sports has become over the years? We, you know, from a distance, we always know they make money. It's a business. I had no idea to the levels once I started investigating and looking this. We're talking close to a billion dollars for just March Madness itself. It right. is it is amazing. Uh, and I'm not even saying, listen, um, divide that percentage up in a profit sharing, give some of the student athletes. First, I think it would be way complex. <laughs> what size you listen and that's where the NCAA continues to push back 
we're not arguing that. All we're saying is allow these student athletes to go do their own thing when it yeah. comes to that. You keep all your money. You know, we're not. If it's a money thing, you know, it, it, and I think it's it's success. But that's that's their job in our country, free market, to go do what you can. But just quit restricting these athletes from having the access that you're literally making money off the unpaid labor on their backs. It's I, for us to be talking about this in 2019. I think it's amazing that we haven't all resolved this already resolved decades ago. Uh, has there been any potential research into uh, the potential tax revenue that it could uh, that this could provide to both the United States, and then would it also be taxable for the state level? There, not a ton of research there. I mean, it, we, because we have no idea. Uh, most of your star athletes are still going to be signing with the big companies. Right. To me, I wanted this to be for the mid-level. Uh, student athletes that that work hard, that spend 40, 50 hours a week on their craft, but have no ability to make any profit off that. This is where we wanted this to target: is to be able to remove that moratorium on having access to their name. Uh, the one big conflict that I see coming from this is what happens if an individual goes out and tries to make a deal with a shoe company or an apparel company, and the university that they're playing for has a deal with a different company right that would be the one conflict that i see really causing an issue with an athletic department oh there, was it the was it the dream team olympics remember where they had the flags draped over because there were some apparel that the olympics sponsored and they had the, their individual contracts and right. things some guys were adidas and i think nike, nike owned the sponsorship that year so i think went. that was what it was there so yeah they've got to navigate that but but to me you know i'm a limited government guy i think the less government involved the better so my job is is to try to remove the moratorium and then tell the university it's your job to come up with a solution as far as how to do it for moving here. I don't. I don't NCAA is a nonprofit. I'm not in the business of telling nonprofits how they should do things. What I am having to do is make sure that people's rights aren't infringed upon, and then you come back and bring a solution. Is where I feel like we should we should be going. Uh, there are some organizations and leagues that are nonprofits. So the NCAA is one of them. Uh, I know the NBA is actually not a nonprofit. They they decided not to go that route. I believe the NFL still is. Um, I think the NHL is. MLB is not anymore. Uh, do you see that changing anytime soon that maybe these leagues will not be nonprofits? I think there's pros and cons. You know, obviously the NFL, I mean, they're they're by far way ahead of everybody else when it comes to sports revenue now. I mean, just that it is what it is. That's a different level altogether. Yeah, right. You know, from, from if I was, I guess if I was a big government guy, I'd be trying to say, no, we want that tax base uh, from the NFL. <laughs> it would be interesting to see where it, where it moves from here because, you know, you've got the different unions and all the different components. But I don't know how much of that belongs to the federal government's right to be able to come in and say, we're going to bust this up or we're going to make you or force you to do this. I hope that's organic more than it comes from members of Congress. Uh, now, you mentioned a little earlier in the podcast uh, the congressional baseball game. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's one of the really cool events that kind of brings everybody together. and yeah. um, it, It's just a lot of fun to, to see everybody go out and play baseball, America's pastime. To, what is it like playing in that in that game? And uh, I mean, how good are some of these congressmen and women at, at playing baseball? Well, you have a full range of talent. I mean, you can imagine middle-aged men and a few women trying to play baseball at the at a major league baseball stadium, the Washington National Stadium. Full dimensions. There's we still pitch from 60 feet, six inches. The bases are 90 feet, which seems like a long way now. Um, but but it it is amazing. First of all, most of it goes to the Boys and Girls Club for charity. 
uh, and it's been around since 1909. They used to place there on, on the on the on the yards itself. But I remember that first year I was named the starting pitcher. Uh, Republicans hadn't won in like seven or eight years because Cedric Richmond as a machine he can still top 80 <laughs> miles an hour at 50 years old 80 miles an hour that's you know that's moving pretty quick especially when he can break one off um but i remember walking out to the mound it was 95 degrees that day i come trotting out of the bullpen my, my heart's about to pound out of my chest because here i am even though it's you know it's it's an exhibition game but here i am pitching as every boy grows up pitching in a major league baseball stadium ball. yeah i throw two or three pitches and i'm thinking i'm out of gas already <laughs> So I walk behind the mound, pick up the rosin bag, and I say this little prayer. I say, okay, God, this could be the most embarrassing moment of my life. I need some divine intervention. Anyway, I ended up throwing five and a half, five and a third innings that day, I believe it was. And uh, they came out ahead three to one or something there. But it's such a great cause. Were you on a pitch count? Uh, well, <laughs> I, yeah, on my own. I, I, think I, threw, I think I threw about, a, about, a, about 90, 95 pitches okay. that day. And uh, so we've enjoyed going head-to-head to Cedric. We've only beaten him one time in the last four years of the pitch so but but it's a lot of fun uh we practice from 6 a.m to 7 a.m in the morning that's the only time we can squeeze it in and uh, and two years ago we had twenty-seven thousand people there wow uh, which is which is crazy so yeah uh is the congressional athletic trainer a, a busy person i mean <laughs> yeah. icing everybody down yeah. getting, yeah, getting I, the hammies I, all, all rubbed out get everybody in the bath at the same ice bath you know, <laughs> But, uh, but, yeah, you can smell the uh, fresh aroma of Ben Gay in everybody's bag. I mean, you, you name it. So, But it's a lot of fun. And there's, you can tell there's usually three or four guys on each team uh, that still has the fundamentals. Uh, may not have the same speed or have the same range because in your mind you still think you can get that ball in the, behind shortstop and make the play. Uh, but it is a lot of fun because ultimately you know and you're helping change the lives of a lot of young boys, young girls throughout D.C. Why the Aggies jersey? I'm curious. I saw, saw a picture of you wearing the uh, ANC Aggies jersey when you pitched. Well, because um, I represent the largest HBCU in the country, Historical mm-hmm. Black College University with, with A&T. Uh, Chancellor Martin, I consider him an incredible friend. My wife is a two-time graduate of a HBCU. She's over at the Rams. Okay. So about football season. Uh, I have to explain that sometimes <laughs> in D.C. My Rams and Aggies, well, that's a little bit of a, a friction in the, in the household. Yeah. That, yeah. Um, I just thought, you know, I, I'm proud to represent uh, A&T. Uh, a lot of our work has been uh, on behalf. In fact, tomorrow night we're voting on the Futures Act, which is a huge piece of legislation that helps HBCUs. And why I've been in office, we've helped increase funding 14% for historical black colleges and universities and that's something we're very proud of. Uh, Congressman, you mentioned that you do represent Mm A&T. However... War Memorial Stadium where the Aggies play baseball. That's actually in Ted Budd's district. It's actually in Ted Budd's district. <laughs> yes. So I guess my question for you is uh, to address the elephant in the room. Do, do you feel like it's appropriate for the campus to be divided down Laurel Street? Or, or do you feel like you should have the, the whole campus in your in your district? Because you, you are a big supporter of HBCUs. I, I would be honored to represent all of A&T. I, I work with Chancellor Martin. Uh, we helped make sure they had their own voting uh, areas there where they didn't have to drive across town um i guess getting a little politically i think republicans go a long way in working on those relationships uh i'm not i'm not under any misnomer that the bulk of these students will vote for me because of just the label that i have but i feel like that uh unless i'm willing to put the time in to build the relationships to understand then then i i shouldn't expect those votes but but i'm happy to I'm happy to represent the whole university. It's one of the reasons my first year of Congress, we brought 82 chancellors from historical black colleges and universities to Washington, D.C., because I wanted to hear directly 
from these individuals, what can we do to help? Uh, the first thing that we, we were able to do was get year-round Pell Grants. That was something they asked for. That's now law. So these, these, uh, these opportunities to build bridges is something that we want to continue to do. Now, going back to what is in your district, the football stadium is in your district. Right. Uh, <laughs> the football team's been pretty good since you've been in office yeah. here. Uh, what has it been like watching uh, the growth of the Aggie football program? Oh, it's, it's been great. Uh, I'll tell you a quick little story. Uh, on the House floor, you're allowed one-minute speeches. So I, I got up there, did one-minute one speeches, national championships, A&T, and I didn't ask permission with the speaker who was deciding the chair. And I said, I just have one more thing, speaker. I said, can I get an Aggie pride? <laughs> I had no idea that thing would take off the way that it did because I was just messing around a little bit, probably more than I should be there on the House chambers. Uh, but, uh, but we had a lot of fun with that. A lot of people gave me uh, uh, back and forth a little bit about it. But, yeah, we, we, uh, we enjoy that. We want to continue to highlight what's great about this area. And I think you had to put A&T right at the top of the list. Uh, back to the piece of legislation that you're hoping to get pushed through here. Yep. Uh, have you spoken to the president about this? Do you think that he is supporting, is, would be supportive of something like this? Obviously, you'll need a signature. Yeah, I've spoken to the vice president. We've spoken several. In fact, I was with the president and the vice president this past weekend in Baltimore at, uh, at the, the House retreat. Um, but, but, yeah, I, I think he would, you know, he's as, as volatile and as loud and obnoxious as he can be sometimes. He's big into this criminal justice reform. He's big into the economic aspect of the specifically the minority communities. So I think when you relay to him, this has a direct impact on some of these communities. I think it's going to be very, very attractive to him. We're at Smith Street Diner, a local institution here. Yes. Uh, and this is the fun part of the show. This is the best part of the show. All right. We get to talk about lunch. And today for lunch, you decided to go with the chicken fried steak. So we'll let you, uh, we'll let you talk about that here for a little bit. Uh, what led to that decision and... Uh, uh, I guess a lot of great local institutions that you get to eat at uh, here in Greensboro. Uh, what is it like to be able to come into one of these places and get a good home-cooked meal like this? Well, I, I, I do get a privilege of going throughout Central North Carolina. We were in all eight counties uh, during our work recess in, in August. So, of course, you, a lot of times you get to choose your meals. In my line of work, sometimes they just put it down in front of you and say, you're going to try this. So. After two or three desserts, you're trying to try to push away. But if you go into a diner, you can't be ordering things like baked chicken and salads. <laughs> I mean, you got to get the chicken fried steak like we did today. And uh, looking forward to chowing down on some of this. Now, the chicken fried steak came with two sides. Uh, Congressman, you picked applesauce and macaroni and cheese. That's what I went with. The yep. chicken fried steak comes with a white gravy. Uh, that has uh, peppercorns in it. Jeff, you uh, you also have the fried okra. I went with the fried okra and, and, the, uh, and, the, and the cornbread. cornbread. Uh, you went with the cornbread. The fried uh, okra, by the way, is terrific. Yeah, it looked really good. Kind of jealous about that. But, yeah. uh, uh, Congressman, you, you do travel between here and D.C. a bunch. Do you have a favorite spot in D.C. that you like to go eat? Oh, there's a place called Ted Bullet Ted's Bulletin uh, that, that is, frankly, kind of a home-cooked meal. There's a lot of the foo-foo restaurants, and uh, and you go to some of those. But I, I just like going out to places that, that are more familiar, more comfortable, the way that I grew up in the South and the way that we eat. Uh, but, yeah, I, uh, I enjoy that. It's one of the reasons I got applesauce as well. That way, if my wife asked me later, I could say, yeah, I had, a, I had a balanced lunch, had fruit. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. So making sure I'm clearing the bases. So. Uh, <laughs> what is it like serving the people of the 6th District? It's overwhelming it, it, from a privilege 
you know, I, I think about that. Um, roughly 780 to 800,000 people. Not all of them, of course, certainly the, the vote for us, but nevertheless, there's a certain support and trust that as I go to Washington that I'm thinking on behalf of the people who sent me there to represent them. I, I, I don't ever take it lightly, and there are moments where I'm literally 9 o'clock at night walking from the Capitol, and I'll get a glance of it, and I'm just blown away that, that this is the honor that I have uh, at this point in my life. I take it very seriously. Uh, there's no promise of tomorrow, you know, but as long as I'm there, I hope back that we can. I hope that we can look back one day and say, you know what, it was more than about making an argument, but it was about making a difference. And that's I hope our, our time means something. Well, uh, I took a bite of the the chicken fried steak. I've had it it the size. It is delicious. <laughs> Uh, really crispy on the outside. The gravy has great flavor. Yeah, and it's not too thick. It's got. It's, it's, it's just right. It's, it it is just right. So we do uh, a helmet sticker rating here. It's tender enough to cut with a fork, which is really wonderful. Yeah. Yep. Uh, one through ten, you can give half helmet stickers. Uh, for me, uh, it's getting a solid eight helmet stickers. This is a really tasty uh, chicken fried steak. It's something that I don't order too often, even though I do enjoy it, uh, because I do need to try and fit through the door every once in a while and uh, put on my suit before games. So, uh, yeah, other than that, uh, yeah, it's great. But uh, this is a, a fantastic choice, Smith Street Diner. Uh, you can't beat the fact that you always get the Boring Castle Sauce and the Texas Pete, you know, two local table, right? companies Absolutely. on the table. Uh, I'm a big, big local kind of guy. So, for me, that, that's a big deal. This is probably the first chicken fried steak I've had in two, three years anyway. And it's really, really good. I mean, it's, it's one of those things that if it's done poorly, it'll put you off of it for, off of it for quite a while. Yeah. But this one is, this was, this is perfect. This is a good solid nine for me. Um, the meat is tasty and tender. Cut it with a fork. The macaroni and cheese is terrific. The cornbread is terrific. So it's a, it's a solid nine for me. Yeah. Congressman, for you? Yeah, I, I like it. If, if I wasn't in office, I'd give it an eight. Because I'm in office, I'm going to give it a nine. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. That was our first D.C. answer of the day that we got right there. Exactly. Uh, Congressman, we really do appreciate the time, and we're glad that we were able to catch you while you were back here in North Carolina. So uh, thank you for this, and uh, we hope to continue talking to you about uh, this piece of legislation as it continues to move through committee and hopefully to the House floor. Jeff Spencer, it's been my privilege. Look forward to doing it again in the future. Awesome. Thank you so much. This has been another edition of Lunch with Spencer and Jeff. Make sure you go ahead and subscribe to us in the iTunes and Google Play Store, and we'll be back soon with another edition of Lunch with Spencer and Jeff. Take care, everybody.